theoretically possible. Why waste time? But it doesn't make any sense. Discovery Houston Press to ATO. Aloha, planet Earth. How's life, sister? Sister. Sister, you know, it's like a Hawaiian term. Oh, yeah. That's right. I'm doing great. Brother. Brother. (laughs) (laughs) We're so weird and goofy, but you know what? Let's just be ourselves. I appreciate it. And today, we're talking about, honestly, a very fascinating subject. It is some of the biggest whales in the crypto space and... I'm excited to dive into it. It, it. We've been consuming a lot of books. I yeah. Mean, let's just start off with that. Why did I say consuming? Because we like audiobooks. They're very nice. Sometimes we read, but more often I would say audiobooks are the way to go. And I recently finished the book. What is it called? You. Bitcoin Billionaires. Bitcoin Billionaires. And that one opened my eyes up to the story of the Winklevoss twins. So who we want to talk about who they are, what they're doing, and what they did because it is it is pretty amazing story. I mean, it, it is. is one of my favorite crypto books. I've been re- consuming a lot of them, and this one I highly recommend. And I I actually read a lot of it to Quinn because it's a killer book. It really is a killer book. It really is. And so this base, this book basically, you know, picks up after if you guys know who the Winklevoss twins are, Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss. Mm-hmm. And these were the two, if you've ever seen the movie The Social Network, right. who at Harvard with Mark Zuckerberg basically came up with the idea of Facebook, right? Right. And let me add this. The writer of The Social Network, the guy who wrote the book that the movie's based on is the same author of the crypto billionaires of bitcoin billionaires bitcoin yeah. billionaires so yeah so it's the same author um and the way it, it kind of picks up after you know the whole debacle with facebook and 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 the you know the court appeal like they basically went to court right after mm-hmm. that's kind of where social network ends and then what happens to the winklevoss twins after like what do they do after right and this is where i mean to us this is this story is so fascinating and very pertinent to you know the path that we're on also and so it was eye-opening to us both to see how you know i mean just imagining that you are no longer you're not a part of this amazing social network that's taking the world by storm mm-hmm. how do you pivot where do you go from there right, right. And, and well let's let's just start off by saying the movie how did the movie portray the winklevoss twins yeah the movie definitely portrayed them in a very negative light yeah um i would say that you know why don't you uh, describe it <laughs> after after that it was yeah it was like they were spoiled rich white kids mm-hmm. who you know didn't understand their own privilege and felt like they were entitled to basically being the founders of Facebook. Right. And that's kind of how I think based, I mean, I don't know after the movie that definitely had an impact on people's perspectives of them. But I think also even in the Silicon Valley world, they really, because they were embracing Facebook and uh, for the technology that it is and Mark Zuckerberg, it was like, you got to choose a side. You either choose one or the other. And in in a way, I mean, looking back on it, it seems kind of silly. Well, I mean, it does now because it's post hoc, but let's let's break it down. They did not look smart in that movie either. No, they, they didn't. Kind of like the dumb jocks yeah. that were born with a silver spoon, perhaps. Yeah. And they, so it picks up the story right after all that happens. And in the social network, we know that they went to court against Mark Zuckerberg and they won 
$65 million worth of, uh, fr- from Mark and Facebook. Yeah. But they took a large portion of that in Facebook stock, which was actually really smart. And with all that, because then it ended up becoming more money. And so with all that money, they ended up wanting to continue down the path of being in the tech world. So they went to Silicon Valley. They were interviewing different businesses, you know, trying to start a VC fund. And no one was taking them seriously. And I kind of understand why. I mean, that movie really portrayed them in a negative light. It really did. Well, and they even, in the book, it even describes, you know, basically the attitude of, people in Silicon Valley, even young people who, you know, they were trying to recruit their mm-hmm. ideas in their different companies. It was kind of like they were blacklisted almost. Right. Like they, they couldn't I even they enter. Said that in the book. Yeah. And so really interesting. Yeah. As they were trying to build this venture capital firm, they started coming across Bitcoin, basically. Well, they went to, uh, it's a uh, Ibiza, Ibiza in Spain. And it's a, what is it, like a party, techno, house music type vibe place. Yeah, I think that's what most people, and I think it's Ibiza. Ibiza, thank you very much. And while they were there, they saw someone that they knew, you know, they're from Northeast New York area. They saw someone that they knew and they said, oh, I got the business idea for you. Let's talk about it. You know, the book makes it like super exciting. I was like visualizing them in the club and this guy comes with the dollars, like, let's talk about it. And, but basically they got interested in what is bitcoin learning about it and at the time it's so crazy at that time when they were talking to them i think it was like six dollars per bitcoin so crazy six dollars today what are we at 50 50k 50,000 sorry not 50 50,000 almost 50,000 yeah and 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 really thinking about this like they were really really willing to take big risks at this point which is really well they had money but they also you know i mean after after what happened with Facebook, they were just like, come on, we got to, we got to get big picture here. We got to get something that's going to really seriously change something. Mm -hmm. And even though people in Silicon Valley weren't really even talking to them, Mm -hmm. they obviously had to go a different route, but Mm -hmm. this Bitcoin, the the concept of Bitcoin at the time was very like underground for the most part. I mean, we all talk about it. Like it's just like another currency day in life. Yeah. But $6 (laughs) per Bitcoin. I mean, think about that. Like John just said, it's almost worth $50,000 right now. So really, really interesting. And I just want to emphasize that because there was high risk at the time when they were really looking into it. And if you read the book, which we're not going to go over the entire book, but this sets them off on a journey really to understand Bitcoin. And the more that they go down that rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. the more that they understand the potential that this actually could have Mm -hmm. on the world, on a lot of different things. And they go all in. They say, this is, this is it. This is what we're going to do. And at the time, I mean, there was, it was really hard to buy Bitcoin. Like you've got so many different platforms now that you can purchase it, Mm -hmm. connect it to your bank account. No big deal. There's, you know, a trade-off of good and bad with that. But because the barriers to entry in terms of buying Bitcoin, it wasn't necessarily the price. It was how to actually do it. Right. And they worked with a another entrepreneur in New York to create an exchange platform. And it was not the current one that they owned, but they were trying to set it up so that it would be easier for people to get ownership of Bitcoin, to acquire Bitcoins. And prior to the launch of that platform, the main, I, don't, I can't say the only one, but the main one that everyone knows is called Mt. Gox. And it was based out of Japan. And you could buy Bitcoin and because they had connections with individuals from New York who have been in Bitcoin for a while, 
they were able to acquire a lot of Bitcoin. And I believe approximately the entry price point that they were acquiring Bitcoin at was about $120 when they're acquiring a lot of Bitcoin. And there's lots of rumors online, but you often see that they own 150,000 Bitcoin, which is a lot of Bitcoin. That's crazy. So 50,000 times 150,000, that's a lot of Bitcoin. And what they did was they set themselves up to prevent their money from being stolen, from being hacked through putting it in someone else's account or something or keeping it on the exchange platform. And this is where I think like the whole beauty of this story is, is the way that they did it. Because Bitcoin, we've said this many times, it's one of the safest ways possible that you can hold any value. But it's also one of the easiest ways, if you don't know what you're doing, for you to get scammed or hacked. We've actually seen lots of real, I mean, I showed Quinn today, a hack that just recently happened. And these are really smart people, but it's so quick. It's instant and boom, it's gone with the wind and you'll never, ever be able to get it back. It's not like you can get a refund. No. And so there was the story of Mt. Gox. And for those of you who don't know, that's an exchange platform in Japan that got hacked of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. And because they were acquiring so much from there, they decided to pull their Bitcoin off of the platform and take possession of it. And the motto goes, there's one rule. If there's any rule in crypto, please explain it, Quinn. Not your keys, not your coin. So, so what does that mean? So basically, if you leave your Bitcoin on an exchange platform like Mt. Gox or like Coinbase or like anywhere else that actually allows you to have a hot wallet where your Bitcoin is managed and stored by someone else. Yeah, or connected to the internet. Or connected to the internet. That means that, if, and that you don't actually own the private keys to authorize anything. Mm. Then it's not your coin, and yeah. that this is kind of. I think this was one of the one of the first, not the first, but if, if not one of the first this was biggest, the biggest hacks, for sure, for sure. And, and it really emphasized that that line that we still use today, like what, right. like nine years later, you right. know, it, where there it's not your keys, not your coin. And they learned that they were lucky. They, they didn't. They well, actually no, got. No, I don't know if it was luck. This is where it gets yeah. interesting. Was it luck or was it intelligence? Well, because at this point. You're reading this book, and when I tell you what happened next, I'm like, dude, these guys are geniuses. They're really, really smart. So what do you think? Was it luck or was it genius? Well, I think the timing and what, well, they, they kind of knew going into it how vulnerable this was, right? Mm -hmm. if the, it's just like if when anything disrupts a new industry and there's no regulation or there's no insurance, there's nothing that's going to save you from it. It's like right. basically you, yourself, and you know, like that's it. Right. If something gets stolen, there's no one's going to get it back for you. Right. And that was definitely something that was a warning by a lot of people that they were, as they were learning about Bitcoin, that was one red flag for them. Right. So they knew that that had to be taken very seriously. Right. So let's explain that a little bit more. Just let's go back to not your keys, not your coin. If it's on an exchange, you're not actually getting your keys, which are, which is your private keys, AKA your password that proves that you have ownership of that crypto. Yeah. And if you have it, the other option is you put it on a wallet. There's two types of wallet. There's the hot wallet, which means that the wallet is connected to the internet. And then there's the cold wallet, which means it's completely disconnected from the internet. And if you chose to put it in a hot wallet, it's still vulnerable because it's connected to the internet. 
But if you put it on a cold wallet, it's, I mean, you, you can't hack paper. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's, it's a way that people can't see, have access to that, uh, that password without you just like giving it to them yeah. or like saying it to them or typing it in for them. Yeah. And that private key, they call it a seed phrase. So it's, you know, a sequence of, of letters and numbers, but you can also, you, they also now have where you have like different words where you actually just have to make sure that you write it down on a piece of paper. You got to go analog. And, yeah. and there's on the flip side of this as well, by people going analog, there have been horror stories of people losing their, their seed code, their private key. Right. Because well, they only wrote it down on a piece of paper and now it's gone. Yeah. And now so, they're looking through dumpsters trying to find that piece of paper yep. or trying to find the hard drive that they wrote it down on. Yep. And if they don't have it, no one's going to access it and it's just going to stay there. Basically, right. no one can actually get into it at right. all. And so that's that's the level of security that you definitely need. And I feel like that definitely with the Winklevoss twins, that was something that... Um, it, okay, look, if, if you only write it down on one piece of paper, that's not very secure. No. So how else could you, a in an analog world, right. ensure that those that password never gets accessed by anyone else, but that you also have a backup plan if, for whatever reason, you know your dog eats the piece of paper or right. the hard drive or something like that. Right. So the keys, just to give a visual, they're upper and lowercase letters with numbers. And they're, I'd say on average, you're probably looking at like 62 characters worth. So... Just imagine 62 letters and numbers all scrambled up. There's like so many different options of how this could come together. And they chose to store all of their crypto, all their Bitcoin onto a cold wallet because it's the most secure format. And they believed that the price of Bitcoin was going to go up from $120 and damn, were they right? Yes, they were in a very big way. Yeah. I mean, the price is now at 50. The highest it's ever been was 63,000. And so if they had this any type of vision that it was going to get even to a thousand from $120, it's something that should be protected and secured. And so what they did was they took their private key from Mt. Gox to take possession of the Bitcoin. And once they had possession of it, then they wanted to make sure that it was disconnected from all internet, all hot devices. So what they did was they bought a brand new computer and a brand new printer as well. And they went into a room, blocked out all the windows, didn't bring any phones in, absolutely zero connection to the world. And what they set up was their own private cold wallet. So they created their own private keys. And you can do that in online. You can set up your, it to be your own choice of passwords. But the problem with humans is that we will choose words or letters that kind of make sense and make a pattern of it. So it's really important that's random. And what they did was they bought some dice, not the regular kind of dice with six sides, but the kind of gaming dies. And those have maybe like 18 sides and they set it up so that the dice would tell them what letter capital lowercase or what number goes next in the sequence. And they just kept on rolling the dice and boom, they created their own private key. With that private key, they transferred the Bitcoin to that address, and then they broke that private key that they created into thirds. And with the thirds of the private key, they put each third in an envelope, and they went on a crazy mission from there. But before that, they smashed the computers, and they used sledgehammers, and the way that it was presented in the book was as though they were getting revenge 
on Mark Zuckerberg for all the pain and frustration that he caused them. It was very dramatic. I would say they definitely, it was a cathartic moment for them, I think, in terms of like, look, all of this was some BS, mm-hmm. and now this is our future. Like, well, let's, gonna, let's get rid of that now. Yeah. Let's move forward and like destroy what could prevent our future from, right. you know, being what we think it's going to be. Which, right. I mean, obviously for them, crushing the computer that had the brand new computer that they had never connected to the internet or the printer as well. And just having these pieces of paper and envelopes, like mm-hmm. the next thing is like, okay, well, what the heck are you going to do with these pieces of papers and envelopes? Mm-hmm. They went on a mission. Basically they went on two different, they, they divided up and they flew mm-hmm. to different parts of the Midwest all throughout our country, all, all over the country, all over the country. Actually, yeah, not just Midwest. It was all over, and it was in more rural banks, so small banks, yeah, small banks that no one would even freaking know. Like you don't know the name, like Wells Fargo or Capital One. You know, like it's you really do. It's a local bank, and they got security deposit mm-hmm. boxes basically at all these different banks, and they split up the multiple copies of their seed phrase right. on this piece of paper. And basically the, these small banks, they didn't care who they were. They didn't even ask. They didn't know who they were. They had no idea who the Winklevoss twins were. So it was right. even more secure for them as well. Mm-hmm. And they basically, they made their seed phrase the most secure that they could possibly have ever thought about at the right. moment in terms of it's on paper, it's analog, it's divided up. If someone gets into this bank and this security box, well, then mm-hmm. they're going to have to combine and find the other two. Right. And and it was also the other problem that people have is if you make it too secure, sometimes you forget your password or you can't figure out, you know, you can't put the pieces back together because they broke, they did, they broke it into thirds, letter A, B, and C. And then they made three copies of A, B, and C. And so they actually went to, I believe it was nine different banks all over. And the only way that you're ever going to be able to steal their Bitcoin is if you successfully steal from the correct three banks that they put their piece one third of a of a private key in and Mm -hmm. you correctly put them together in the right order like it's a lot of like what are the odds of someone stealing from a bank and then what are the odds of someone stealing from two banks more the odds of someone stealing from three banks plus getting the right banks like it's just so crazy complicated yeah, it is and and i'm sure that a lot of people at the time were like you are so over paranoid about this yeah. digital cash like what the heck are you doing right but wow looking back on it like i've got to say it's one of the more fascinating and brilliant stories about someone i mean really we on a daily basis and i've talked about this a lot like we don't really concern ourselves with our privacy but when mm-hmm. you got something to lose, right. you, I mean, what can you do? I mean, right. we're surveilled constantly all the time. This is one of the reasons why, like, if you want something to be really private for yourself, it's mm-hmm. really difficult. You got to think outside the box. You got to get really creative. And they were not overly paranoid. They no. were actually very much dead on and actually more forward thinking than most people yeah. give them, gave them credit for at the time. People I'm sure that now lost millions so much. from these different hacks that happened on exchange platforms and yeah. People lost a lot of money and they freaking did it right. So how much money do they own in Bitcoin as of today? Approximately, we're looking at $7.5 billion from freaking Bitcoin. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, they're some of the biggest owners of it. They own way more than Tesla. I know. Well, definitely Tesla got late in the game. But, you know, know, I I think what's so fascinating also is not only just their story, the beginning roots of how they acquired this Bitcoin and what they did to secure it. They knew right after that, like, well, what 
what else is next? Like, obviously, mm -hmm. Mount Gox was a freaking disaster. Like, in order for the masses to actually adopt, how, what do we get? What are we going to need to do? Well, they had contacts in the banking industry. They were trying mm -hmm. to really get institutional banking and investing on board. And they said, you know what? I think we could do that. We could fill this gap, and we can actually create an exchange platform. And then they created the platform called Gemini, which is now an ex a crypto exchange platform that one a lot of, the most of people popular use. Ones, yeah. One of the most popular ones, yeah. You got Coinbase, you got Gemini, and they, they did Gemini and they have their own stable coin as well, which is, you know, backed by the amount of dollars that they actually have mm -hmm. stored um, somewhere. And I, I just think that it's a really fascinating, amazing story of entrepreneurship and pivoting also after a huge failure of right. like i mean they didn't fail with the company they just failed to like i mean you know the story of social network with facebook right. how do you pick yourself up from that yeah. well they did and they leaned way into the future they said okay social media is already done right what's what's the future what's going on over here and they listened and they really took it seriously and let's see bada what bing, happens next boom. it'll well, be really interesting well gemini what what why they call gemini they call Gemini. Gemini means twins, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's the zodiac sign. For twins. Which means twins. So my final question for all of our listeners, and we have our opinion, but are these twins super genius or are they just lucky dudes? It's probably some combination of the two. We shall see. Just like everyone else. Well, I hope they make the movie of this because it's a very exciting story. I've read actually that they are considering making greenlighting this as a movie as like a sequel part two to Social so Network, cool. which would be super interesting. It is a fascinating story. Highly recommend the book Bitcoin Billionaires. And we look forward to speaking with you soon. We'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.